and you may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning to the other 400 of you. I'm so glad that you're here today. I hope you'll take time to read the little insert in your bulletin about Constitution Sunday. We take it for granted. You know, America is the nation on earth that people want to come to. And they want to come here because of the freedoms that we enjoy. How many know our constitutional documents, our declaration, they're built around we the people. They're built around a recognition of God. And I was thrilled this week. I heard that members of our church both bought, uh, paid for and distributed over 12,000 constitutions to all the middle school and high school students in Miller and Bowie County. Isn't that a big deal? We're a part of two kingdoms. I'm ultimately, most importantly, a part of the eternal kingdom of God. Uh, it is my foremost and primary allegiance, but I'm also a citizen of the United States of America. And our Constitution's pretty much ignored. They're trying to replace it today in many respects, ignore it. But there's something that's very vital to us as Christian people. The First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. You hear that all the time. But this part you don't hear or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It is our religious rights, for example, if you're in the medical profession and, and it's against the right, your right of conscience not to be involved or a party to an abortion. That's the freedom of religion. Freedom of worship is what communist nations have. They have freedom to worship in the confines of their building, but they're supposed to keep it outside the walls, uh, but they're not supposed to keep it outside the walls of their church. Uh, we're different as Americans. It's the first right enshrined in our Bill of Rights, I hope that you'll encourage your kids to read it. Read it afresh for yourself. We have an information table in the lobby where you can pick up a copy of lots of different things about our nation. But uh, anyway, I hope you'll remember this day is a gift from God as Constitution Sunday. Turn your Bible, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. We've been doing a series called Uncharted. Uncharted, our God for navigating life. And how many know that our God for the, for the future is the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity, the invisible yet real God among us, God in our midst, God the Spirit. Uh, we've been learning a lot of things. My hope is that you won't just learn, though. My hope is that you will desire His presence, the reality of God. Not some mystical experience where we turn the lights down, light the incense, and cross our knees and go, mmm. But a spiritual reality that born-again people have an awareness, a knowledge that God is real, there's special times in life when God is close to us. I hope you'll also, throughout this series, be inspired to desire God's power in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit, His capacity, the ability to be able to do things in the name of the Lord to advance His kingdom. Uh, last week, we introduced a subject about, uh, I've called it the baptizer. Jesus, of course, being the baptizer in the Spirit. Uh, Matthew 3.11 was what we looked at last week, and I want to give you just a bit of review from last week. This is a two-part message, but last week John the Baptist introduced Jesus Christ as the one who would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. So what in the world does that mean? Now the word baptize, again in a, a bit of review, baptize is an interesting word. It's what's called a transliteration, which means there is no English equivalent to the Greek word baptizo or its word group. So they kind of made up a word. And when you think of baptism, when I think of baptism, the first thing that comes to mind is what? Water baptism. And that's what it is. But it's more than that. By definition, the word baptize means to immerse. 
But a fuller definition means to be completely under the influence of, to be completely controlled by. When you're under the water being baptized, you're under the influence of that water completely. When the children of Israel were baptized in the cloud in Moses, when they went through the Red Sea, it encompassed them, it controlled them, it was all over and all around them. The baptism of repentance that John the Baptist spoke about, it was an immersion in repentance. It was being controlled by repentance to the degree that you turn away from sin and turn towards God. Um, there were four different baptisms, you recall from last week, that New Testament believers regularly experienced. They experienced the baptism of repentance, which was the door to salvation. At salvation, we were baptized into the body of Christ. There was water baptism. And then the fourth one that we spoke of last week, spirit baptism. Now, Jesus said in Acts 1-8 that the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, very specific reason, Jesus said you'll receive power. It's the Greek word dunamis. We get our English word dynamite, spiritual dynamite. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you. But he didn't stop there. He said, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And of course, after the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. And Jesus saw a definite link between this baptism of the Spirit experience and what it produces, which was our capacity to reach people for Christ the supernatural acts, the gifts of the Spirit that would all work towards bringing people to the kingdom. Uh, I have been a part of the charismatic, Pentecostal, neo-Pentecostal, full gospel, spirit-filled, whatever you want to call it, movement for 40 years. And it seemed like the purpose of this baptism and the Spirit experience was to have a better church service or kind of make us feel better as Christians as opposed to an outward focus to be able to reach the world for Christ. There's two philosophies when it comes to this idea of the baptism of the Spirit, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural things that they did. One philosophy is called cessationism. It's taught that when the apostles died, the apostolic era was over, or the Bible was canonized or brought together, all the supernatural acts of God stopped. Another philosophy is continuationism, which means those gifts of the Spirit, what you saw throughout the New Testament, should continue throughout the church age. I hold to that philosophy. Uh, Christianity is divided basically by these two philosophies. Uh, there are people in, in virtually all the major conservative denominations, Christian denominations, some that believe in cessation, some that believe in this continuation idea. I, 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 I hold to the belief that the book of Acts is literal, not just church history, but it is a pattern for church life. It is intended to be an example for us about how you and I, as modern-day Christians, could function in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you believe differently, that's fine. Um, you're welcome to be a part of our church. But I would encourage you to give me a fair listen today because I build what, I'm building what I believe about this particular experience in the Holy Spirit on uh, lots of scriptures, and I think you'll find it very encouraging today. Uh, you remember last week we saw on the day of Pentecost, some people embraced what was happening, others made fun of it. But we close with this passage when Peter explained the day of Pentecost, and Peter made this promise to all believers that would come after them. Now listen to what he said, Acts 2.38. Peter said to this great crowd of people that had gathered on the day of Pentecost, they asked him, what should we do? And Peter said, repent, turn from your sins, be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to verse 39. For the promise of the Spirit, of this salvation, of the forgiveness, all these things that he just referenced, the promise is for you, your children, and for all. See, when I had that little pause, I want you to tell me what's on the screen. For all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. Now punch your neighbor and say, are you an everyone? Well, I want to suggest you are. And I want to do my best to, to hopefully provoke you as we look through the passage of Scripture today to see that God wants a very a close uh, and active relationship with the, between the believer and the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this morning that Pentecost was not a one-time experience. When the church was started, when the Spirit came to the church, it didn't just happen there in Jerusalem, but it was an experience that we'll see happen throughout the book of Acts there's four specific examples. I'm going to give you a three of them. I don't have time for the fourth. But in all those, you'll see that this idea of the baptism of the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, the Spirit coming upon people, was separate and distinct from the salvation experience. It was, it was it, 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 when you come to Christ and are saved, it's like if this little cup of water is you, when I'm saved, God pours His Spirit in my life. And I'm a Christian. It's what gives me the God awareness. I'm born again. I'm made alive. But the baptism of the Spirit, if I had a five-gallon bucket and then dip my life in there, perhaps that's a picture of the fullness of the Spirit. But I want you to ask yourself the question, as I will throughout this message, what if? What if I read, uh, what if what I read on the pages of the book of Acts is available today? What if the Holy Spirit could use me to, whether it's a prophecy, encouraging someone, a miracle, uh, an answered prayer in some fashion, to help someone get delivered? What if what God did through our predecessors, he could do through us? How many know it would be, imagine the possibilities would be amazing. Uh, let's spend one more moment on Peter's explanation of Pentecost first about spiritual power in the last days. Now, the day of Pentecost, very unusual. It was never repeated in the sense that that was the day the church began. There were several dozen believers. They're gathered in the upper room as they're waiting for something, the promise of the Spirit. Jesus said it was coming. They're just in a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, it's, they, 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 they heard this sound. It was like a rushing mighty wind. They saw, you read Acts 2, flames of fire resting on the people. And then there was this experience where the Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in a language they'd never learned. It's as if, if I just began to speak in the German language, never, taught, never was taught German, but I spoke that language, and someone from Germany was here that didn't speak English, and I told them in their own native tongue that Jesus loves them, He died for their sins. If they would believe and follow Him, they'd have eternal life, and they would come to the altar and be saved. It was that supernatural. Well, how many know God's a supernatural God? If in Genesis 1-1, God can create everything we know. If in the book of Genesis at the Tower of Babel, he can confuse all the languages. There was one language at one time. The whole world spoke it. They built this, tapel, uh, this uh, temple up to the heavens. God confused it and created all the different languages. So God's the master linguist. But uh, notice what he said in Acts 2. Peter's addressing this crowd, and he said, All who dwell in Jerusalem, give ear to my words. These people are not drunk. Now, I've been drunk before. It's been a long time. 
needed to reinforce that. It's been a long time. Anyway, it has been a long time. But can you imagine a spiritual experience that some were having was perceived to be people that were just drinking? We don't know why, if there was some manifestation that happened, but that was the case. Nonetheless, verse 16, Peter said this, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter looked back some 700 years, talked about a present-day experience, and he said, In the last days, very key, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He then goes on to talk about signs in the earth. And then he says, verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what I want you to see in this short passage is he connects this outpouring of the Spirit with the salvation of souls. Uh, clearly, you and I are in the last day. The last days began on the day of Pentecost. We are 2,000 years later. We are in the latter part of the last days. And I suggest to you to view this passage as it's clearly stated that Peter said that you can expect in the last days a number of things to happen. You can expect old men like Pastor Mike. He's not here, but he'll be dreaming dreams, the Bible says. Young men like myself and, and Pastor Travis and Jason, we're dreaming dreams. We're having visions. You're saying, yeah, you're confused. You don't even know what you're having. You're probably right. But then it said, you'll prophesy. Prophesy, prophecy is not a foretelling of what the stock market's going to do on Thursday. Prophecy, if according to 1 Corinthians 14, is an encouragement. It builds people up. It strengthens them. It edifies them. Uh, I had this happen last night. Uh, after the service, it was totally unplanned. But I had seen a, a good friend in the hallway in church service, and my heart was drawn toward them. I didn't get to talk to them. After service, it just happened accidentally, as luck would have it, as I was leaving the building, they, they were in the parking lot, and I just felt drawn to them to talk to them just a moment. And as they were sharing about their life, the Lord gave me a picture in my mind. This is a word of knowledge. It's a picture. It's how the gift of prophecy operates. And they talked about their life and struggles they were having, and I just sensed that they felt like they were in this kind of box and couldn't get out. And the Lord gave me this picture of a swimming pool. In this swimming pool, they were just like swimming around and around and around, not going anywhere. But then there was a ladder, and they climbed out of that ladder. And I interpreted that to be that the Lord was saying, you're not going to stay where you are the rest of your life. That this is a season of your life. It's not a permanent position. But God's going to bring you out, and you're going to be in a new place in life. And I felt, uh, he felt encouragement, I guarantee you that. It wasn't planned. It just kind of happened. But I had to exercise a little faith and step out in the midst of Well, that's the gift of prophecy. Uh, and this is what Peter said. Because Peter said this era of the last days will be characterized by this supernatural communication and spiritual power. And my question is, what if that happened today? What if it was normal for you and I, whether we're in the office at work or whether in the Walmart or wherever we are, that we made, made ourselves available to God where we might be an encouragement and somehow used by the Holy Spirit to help people's lives be closer and stronger to God? How many believe that would be a great thing? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I want to do this morning is just awaken that possibility from a biblical point of view. Now, let me give you three examples in the book of Acts where disciples were baptized with the Spirit. We start in Acts 8 in the city of Samaria. 
Uh, to Acts chapter 8, this is right after the persecution in, in Jerusalem. Stephen the deacon has been stoned to death. And now Philip, another deacon, goes down to the city of Samaria and proclaims Christ. Now here's something I want you to see. When I was taught cessationism, believing that the supernatural aspect stopped, I was also taught that those that did supernatural things like this prophecy and, and, and different signs and wonders, that they were the apostles. And it stopped after the apostolic era. But what I want you to see here is Philip is a deacon. A deacon was not a governmental office. It was a place of servanthood in the life of the church. This brother goes out and he's preaching Christ. He's literally telling people about Jesus. And this next phrase gets my attention. The crowds paid attention when they heard him and say it again and saw the signs so there was biblical proclamation but there was something a spiritual dynamic it was something in the supernatural element that was happening notice he tells us what it was uh, uh, it says unclean spirits these are demonic spirits they cried out with a loud voice and came out of many who had them now I'm going to ask you a question how many believe that demons are real today well, I want to tell you, you are a part of an increasing minority in America. I was given a book recently by Carl Sagan. It was distributed to the freshman class at Texas A&M, and it was basically a book that discounts the supernatural, that basically discounts the idea of the existence of demons because we live in a rational, enlightened age in which science provides answers for those of you, like myself, that are involved in mythology or to... Uh, unsophisticated to understand uh, how the world really is. You're handing books out like that to your kids, and there's a belief in our world that demons are not here, that demons were just the explanation of what happened uh, on, on the earth when, when people were not smart like, like we are today. Um, I want to suggest to you the Bible is literally true when it says, when Jesus said he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. When the Bible describes the demonic world, uh, it's a real thing. Well, how many know demons can oppress people? Demons can influence and control people today like they did then. Well, in this case, those people that were, 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 had demons came to Christ and were freed from that demonic control. And the scripture says that they, uh, uh, they came out with a loud voice. Well, I would imagine that if during our prayer time today, and, and we believe when we have prayer time, that it's a really opportunity for a miracle to happen. That the prayer is not just something that someone learned from a book, but it's, and I can't say this happens every time, but it could be that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and through them, that something powerful happens, that people could be healed. But what, what, what would happen if somebody that had a demon and they got delivered and they screamed, they started shouting, probably about a dozen or two of you would run out that back door. Now, I'm not looking for that to happen, but it's possible that the person behind you could be demonized. Don't look behind, don't look back. <laughs> Don't look back behind you. If people's lives are being destroyed and controlled, shouldn't church be the place where they get free? Well, Philip had this divine ability. Paralyzed or lame people were healed. This was the pattern of the early church. There was preaching and spiritual signs and wonders. It wasn't just sermons. It wasn't just teaching. But the Holy Spirit was, was moving in their midst. Uh, Paul said this uh, of his experience, 1 Corinthians 2, 4. 
my message and my preaching were not just with wise and persuasive words. It was more than a PowerPoint presentation, a video, and lights. He said, uh, he said it was uh, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, I have seen some in my life. If I was God, listen, I would have me and you prophesying everywhere we go. I would have us, when we go to McDonald's, I mean, I went to Chick-fil-A last night to get a salad and go home. Uh, if I was God, I'd have given me a prophecy for everyone in that building. But he didn't. It didn't happen. I didn't feel that drawn, and I don't know why. If I was God, uh, I would make me and you just like uh, Philip was. Uh, after church, we'd go to St. Michael's and put him out of business. Wouldn't that be a great thing? No, no, really. Wouldn't that be a great thing? But it doesn't happen all the time. But I have seen it happen before. I tell you, the most, in my mind, the most undeniable miracle I've ever seen in my life, and no credit at all to me, but uh, there was a team of us, we went to Mexico probably 12, 15 years ago, and we put a, a roof, we were helping build a very, very poor church, in the evening we had church services. Of course, they didn't speak any English, and everything was through a translator, and we prayed for this, uh, this older woman, this elderly woman, and uh, uh, she couldn't see, so we prayed for her. And the amazing thing, uh, after the service, I noticed that there were little kids sitting in her lap and coming around her, and they were crying, and she was crying, because for the first time in her life, she could see. Now, believe it if you will, believe it if you want, but listen, I was there, and a woman who couldn't see could see, and she was weeping over her kids. Now, why doesn't that happen every day? I can't explain that to you. And it's not my job to defend God, but what my job is today is to try to teach you from the Bible that what I'm talking about was a part and parcel of the forefathers of our faith. It's how this whole Christian movement got started, that men and women believed the right thing, and then the Holy Spirit used them in supernatural ways. Now, let's see if we can find the key to this. Verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip as he preached the good news, they're baptized, or water baptized. Now, how many would say without question they're Christians? They believe the preaching of Jesus, they're baptized in water, but verse 14, when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down. And what did they do? They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Separate and distinct from salvation. We've got the deacon doing supernatural things. But spirit baptism was a separate experience distinct from salvation, distinct from water baptism, and the purpose was not for salvation or to make, you know, me, people say, look at me or what I can do. But it was to be empowered to witness. And if I could do anything at all today, if I could just stir the pot and say, what if the same thing could happen today? Come on now, somebody give the Lord a good hand this morning. Let's keep moving. Acts chapter 9, Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, he was a religious zealot. Uh, he was like the, uh, the Islamic jihadists of his day. He was intent on eradicating Christianity from the earth. And uh, he was on a mission. Jesus looked down and saw this man, knocked him off his horse. He's blinded by a light brighter than the sun. He said, who are you, Lord? And now he's sitting in this house, had this encounter with the Lord, which probably he has been saved uh, prior to this. But anyway, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. There's a disciple named Ananias. And here's what I want you to see. Ananias was not an apostle. He was an ordinary Christian just like you and just like me. But the Spirit of God was upon his life. The, the Lord said to him in a vision. 
Now, isn't that what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that in the last days you're going to see visions and dream dreams? Well, he has one. A vision, by definition, it's like a, like a television screen. You know, you're looking at this screen, and if you'd never seen that before, if you've never seen a television set, you'd assume that was a real person. But it is, but it's not. I mean, it's not real. Here's the real person over here, but that's the picture on the screen well, a, a vision is a picture that God gives you in your mind to see things that your eyes can't see. Um, it, can be, it can be weird or it can be misleading, but it could be God. I mean, no, that's why we want to discern and prove all things. We don't want to be gullible. Listen, I don't want you to be gullible. Today. I want you to believe anything I say unless it can be backed up in Scripture. But when it's backed up in Scripture, then it becomes foundational for our life. Well, anyway, he has this vision, and this vision is so specific. The vision said, Rise and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. It's just like if, I don't know, if you're, you, you get in the car to, uh, after church, and you have a vision, and the Lord said, I want you to go to 419 Pecan Street, and there's someone there that's about to commit suicide. Uh, you're in Walmart shopping, and you, you know your cart's just about full, but you feel the Holy Spirit draw you to go back to the produce section where you've already been because there's someone on there that's divorced and devastated, and they just need some encouragement. It's the same thing. The supernatural God looks down and sees all the different things people are doing and what's going on. Well, he has a very specific word for Peter, or uh, for uh, Ananias. Go there and find Saul. He goes to the house, and maybe this is indicative of anything in my whole message today. He was willing to do it. I think one of the great tragedies of the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Pentecostal full gospel in this charismatic movement is we became more concerned about the person speaking in this unlearned language, spirit talk, than we did about doing the work of the ministry. Come on now. Being willing to allow the Holy Spirit to get us out there in the world to do works for God. Well, Ananias is willing to go. He's willing to be controlled by the Spirit. Remember the definition of baptism? Influenced by the Spirit. He departed and he entered the house. And it's interesting. He laid his hands on him. He touched him with his hands and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you may regain your sight, physical healing, and be filled with the Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. One translator said it was like a... Uh, it was like flakes fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then what happened? He rose up and was baptized, or baptized in water. Now, on this occasion, the Spirit just didn't fall like on the day of Pentecost. They laid their hands on them, but water baptism came after this Spirit baptism. Now, this, this is the language of the New Testament. Next time I, I, I preach, uh, we're going to talk, we're just going to start walking through the New Testament and, and see how these gifts of the Spirit work out. But uh, I want you to look at that phrase when he said, The Lord has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Now, this word filled with the Spirit, in my opinion, this, this little section is, is, is probably the most pivotal part of my message today. Uh, filled with the Spirit, by definition, means under the Spirit's control. And this, I think, is where the Pentecostal tradition has missed it. It was more, if, we could, if someone would just speak in this heavenly language, you got it and that's it. But this idea of being filled with the Spirit is, is being under the influence or control of the Spirit. 
Now, clearly it happened in an initial time. It's like opening a door and walking through it. It happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened to Saul. It happened to the people in Samaria. But what I want you to look at is Acts 4.8. When people are ministering under the Spirit's power. Now, hopefully that's what I'm doing today. When you are ministering to someone either in prayer or yesterday I was witnessing. I was manning a little table at, at the fair uh, and I was witnessing to someone, I, that's when I want to be filled with the Spirit. Because listen to what happened. Acts 4, 8. Now, the story here is about Peter, Peter and John, but there was a miraculous healing took place, but the Bible is quick to tell us is Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he spoke to a man. So this is not just him getting prayed for in the church service. Now he's going out doing the work of ministry, and the Spirit is moving through him. It's flowing through him, and, uh, of course, uh, miracles happen there. Uh, Acts 6, 5, this being filled with the Spirit is, is almost a way of life. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, one of the first deacons, his name was Stephen. They picked him because he was full of faith and... Of the Holy Spirit. So when they went to look for deacons in the church, they were looking for people that had this display of God's Spirit in their life. The book of Ephesians actually tells us, Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine. Everybody say, that's good. I mean, don't do that, but, 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 but that's a good scripture. But be... What does that mean? The tense of that verb, be filled... We don't have an equivalency in English. In English, you know, you've got past, present, and future activity. This verb in Greek is a continuous tense, which means keep be being filled. In other words, I want you to be filled all the time, implying that like a gas tank. I mean, you can go further on a tank full of gas than one that's about a, a, a quarter of a tank. You have a capacity about you. So... The baptism of the Holy Spirit, though it began with an experience in God, it worked itself out of being filled on a daily basis, filled during ministry opportunities, and that's its whole purpose as we, as we reach people for Christ. Ten times in the book of Acts, you see this word being filled with the Spirit, and that's, that's very key to look at. But let me look at one more example. It was not just Samaria, not just Saul. Uh, there was also Cornelius. I believe it's Acts 12. I don't have time to look there, but that was what's called the Gentile Pentecost. Same thing happened there. But Acts 19 is, is to me, it's the, uh, uh, one of the most uh, graphic scriptures that displays that this fullness of the Spirit is distinct from salvation. And it's something that was vitally sought by believers. Now, it, we're at Ephesus. Acts 19. Paul came to Ephesus, verse 1, and he found some disciples... And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we don't even, we've never heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now, let's establish first, these are Christians. He called them disciples, but as we go on to read, we'll see that they were disciples of John, who was the forerunner of Christ with repentance introducing him. But he asked the question, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Clearly they're Christians, but I want to ask you this question. Why would he have asked them that? They're already saved. Why would he have asked that question if there were not something more to their Christian walk that the Holy Spirit wanted to do and provide in them? That's a, that's a big one to meditate on. Um, verse 3, 
he made further inquiry. Well, tell me about your baptism, your water baptism. Into what were you baptized? They said into John's baptism. And Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who would come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing that, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They're rebaptized. This is the only time you see this in Scripture. John's baptism was a precursor to salvation, though it led them to Christ. This was Christian water baptism, being baptized, as we do here, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they come up out of this water. So they're clearly Christians. They're baptized in water. But verse 6, what does Paul do? He laid his hands on them. What is the deal about these laying on of hands? It's spiritual impartation. It is a transference. Remember in the Old Testament when, when, when animal sacrifices would be made and the priest would lay his hands on that animal and it would transfer the sins. Well, in this case, something spiritual is being transferred. You know, Paul even told Timothy, if I could back up a second, he said in 1 Timothy 4, 14, don't neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders... So somehow, when spiritual people laid their hands, presumably on the head of the person, laid their hand on them, there was a spiritual transference of a gift. Now, how many know that when you start with a gift, just like a kid riding a bike, you're not as proficient as you're going to be months or years later? But yet the gift, the capacity, or the ability is still there. Now, back to, back to Acts 19, verse 6. He lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. This is, this is language. If you look at the language, they're baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. The Spirit comes on them, uh, all saying the same thing. The Spirit comes on them, and then they begin speaking different or unlearned languages and prophesying. This seemed to be the evidence that, that this, they received this uh, baptism experience. Uh, this, this, the word prophecy, very clear, 1 Corinthians 14 which, by the way, we're going to talk about this. I'm going to give one of my messages the, the whole time as we'll talk about what in the world does it mean when they spoke in tongues and unlearned language. Other translation says they spoke in a strange manner. Uh, they used unknown or unrecognized sounds. Now, my first impression of that is that sounds pretty weird to me. But just because it sounds weird to me, I mean, if the Bible teaches something is a good thing, then who's got the problem, me or the Bible? Are you with me today? So I want to get it. I'm going to do my best in, in, a, in an upcoming message to talk about that. But the Spirit comes on them, and out of their mouths come language, spirit talk. That's intent is not just to help them in some fashion, but it's to be a blessing, a, a conduit for the, the power of God. Again, you see here these four baptisms in this short passage, a baptism of repentance, a baptism of salvation when they're baptized into the body of Christ, should have done this on one hand. Water baptism and spirit baptism. So anyway, I'm going to close with this question. What if we lived under the Spirit's control? What if we read about on the pages of Acts? And this is a wonderful journey. I'm going to share my testimony in just a moment in closing. But what I did when I was first introduced to this subject, I first backed away because I was a little frightened by it. But then I began to do what the Scripture talks about. The Bereans, they search the Scriptures daily to see if these things are true. 
I want to challenge you that in the book of Acts. So let me, I'm going to close with this. How do, how do you receive this baptism in the Spirit? How does this fullness come? Well, first of all, let me say very clearly, there is no formula. But I, some things that I have experienced in life that could be helpful. Number one is we have to be willing to give the Spirit complete control. One aspect of this whole being baptized under the influence or controlled by that's a big deal. Do I really want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and do I want to be on a mission from God? Do I want God to have the right to use me like he did the disciple Ananias, who's just minding his own business? Come on now. He's watching the cowboys on TV there in Jerusalem. He just kind of, you know, chilling out. I'm just joking. Some of you, come on now. I'm a little brighter than that. He's just chilling out. Picking his teeth with fish bones, okay? Are we more a little cur- cur- culturally? Well, anyway, whatever he was doing. Now, see, you made me lose my point. How did you do that? <laughs> Ananias, though. Ananias, when he's heard that vision from God, God wanted him to go talk to a murderer. God wanted him to talk to a man that was killing Christians. And we don't know, but it's likely he had a wife, a job, and kids, and he was going to put it off. But you know what he did? He went. So my question to you, are you willing to do what the Lord says? That's a great starting place. Am I willing and desirous for the Holy Spirit to use me to expand his kingdom? Not just to make me feel better, but that's a big one. And the second one, I think, is just as pertinent. Ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit. You say, well, where do you get that, preacher? uh, Luke chapter 11. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke, the gospel, The Gospel of Luke has more mentions of the Holy Spirit than any of the other Gospels. But listen to what Luke said. He asked the question, what father, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If say, Daddy, I want some chicken nuggets, who is going to give him broccoli? I mean, you understand with me today? He's saying, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, now listen to this, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit Now, that, I've always thought that that was odd in Luke. In Matthew, it says, will he give good gifts? But Luke specifically makes this reference. So the second thing I'd say to you, ask the Lord. The third thing I would say is it, I think it's important to exercise our faith to believe we're going to receive just like salvation. There's something about faith. I shared my story about giving the, the individual last night a prophecy, which I believe was a word from the Lord. I had to have a little faith in that. I didn't just think about my counseling books that I've read or past counseling histories, what to say to him. When we're talking, and I sensed it was a God moment, I said, Lord, can you help him? Can you use me to help him? And when I saw this picture, I had to have a little faith. Are you with me today? You don't always know. You have to have a little faith and be willing to step out. Because here's the deal. How do you even know you're saved, friend? You're saved because you've based your uh, eternal soul on faith in God's word. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Romans says, you'll be saved. You may not feel saved. You may not act saved sometimes, but our salvation is not a feeling. Come on. It's based on the word of God. That'll take you somewhere. Uh, You've got to exercise faith. Number four, I I would ask a spirit-filled believer to lay their hands on me. And again, I would have faith to believe that I'm going to receive something and that I'm going to start to act. 
It's just like if you get a bicycle and don't know how to ride a bicycle, you can stare at that bike and dream about it all you want to, but you got to get on that thing. Come on now. They're thinking about the motorcycles over here. You got to get on that dog. Come on. And you you got to push the gas and get off the pedal. Well, this, I think, is the same spiritually. I am not the same person today that I am spiritually in terms of maturity as I was when I was 20. It's a growth and a development that happens in our life. And the last thing I'd say... Keep on praying and seeking. Now, why do I say that? I say that from experience. And I'm going to close, with, if I can, with a testimony. And my testimony is just that. It's an experience of what God did in my life. But it was an experience based on the Bible. But I'll tell you how it filtered out through me. I was raised, as many of you know, in a Methodist church. What I'm sharing with you today was not a part of our church tradition. Uh, I'm thrilled for my heritage, but it was not a part of it. I got saved when a Gideon gave me a Bible and talked to me about personal salvation. I was discipled with the Navigators in Millington, Tennessee. And then, by luck, by chance, by happenstance, the Navy sent me to Adak, Alaska. Luck had nothing to do with it. God was ordering my life. And I ended up in an Assembly of God church. And I remember the first time I went into that church, it was a long hall. It was a little, in a little chapel annex building. And I walked down the hall, and these people had their hands lifted in church. I had never seen that. But when I went in that room, I, I don't want to use this word, but I don't know what word to use. I felt something. I sensed something. I, I've been to airports all over the world, and I've met Christians in airports, and I'd talk to them three or four minutes, and before you know it, I feel like I'm talking to my best friend because we're one in Christ. And there's a spiritual sense that you have when you're around the things of God. The worship service was, you know, different but great. Well, then at the end they had an altar call and they said if anyone wants God's power, I don't know what it was, God's power in their life or the Holy Spirit or whatever. Man, I was just hungry for God. So I went up there and I knelt down and I felt ten people kind of poking me. They were laying hands on me, okay. And it was a little odd. And then they were all speaking in this language I'd never heard. And that was really weird. And, and, and something inside me wanted to get out, but something inside me wanted to stay because I sensed the Lord. And the most wonderful thing happened after that. My friends knew I was a bit confused and, and kind of put off. And one of them said, why don't we just read the Bible together? And he just began walking me through the pages of the book of Acts till I saw what I've tried to communicate with you this morning. Well, how many know when a man's had an experience and he has a biblical foundation, you can't, it's pretty hard to talk him out of that. I can argue theology until I've had this experience, but once I know it's in the Bible, because I believe our religious heritage is the deepest influencer that we have in our life. It sets the tone for conscience and everything else. Well, my tradition basically said that's not for today. And I had a journey to walk through. I got prayed for several times. And I did, I don't know, you know, it's a long time ago. I don't know that I necessarily felt much different. But I was frustrated over the whole deal. And I said, one night after church, we had an evening service. I was going to walk home from the barracks. It was a long walk from the barracks down to the, where I lived, uh, from the chapel down to the barracks. And I just asked the Lord, would he just fill me with his Holy Spirit? I'm walking down this road just singing little praise choruses. And all of a sudden, I'm singing in a language other than English. You say, well, how do you know, Pat? I was there. <laughs> and I think I'm normal today, other than this little twitch I got. I can't help it. But, 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 
And then this next part's true. It's not a joke. It's all true, but this point's really true. As soon as I started singing in this heavenly language, this thought came to my mind, Methodists, don't do that. But then another thought came to my mind, Luke 11, 11. If you as a father give gifts to your, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, then I was, then I had, am I going to believe what I read in the Bible? Am I going to believe this is happening to me? And I had to take a step. You know, Harrison Ford movie, Indiana Jones, you know, and he had to step across that, 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 that large cavern and he couldn't see that there was a bridge that was going to hold him up. Faith is like that sometimes. Sometimes you got to be a Peter and step out of the boat if you're going to walk on the water to go see Jesus. And I did, and I'll tell you what, after that, I just started trying to ride that bicycle every day. And before I knew it, spirit talk was a normal part of my life. Uh, I, over time, I began to learn about the gift of prophecy. My faith began to increase. I learned to hear the Lord at a deeper level, and it changed my life. And I want to suggest to you, friends, don't believe me because I said it. Believe me because the Bible teaches it. And how many know, if they needed power in the, in the Bible era, how many know we need it today? Give the Lord a, a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet today and... Let's just take a minute. I really appreciate your eagerness to listen to this because I know a lot of us have uh, maybe believe a bit different. But I point you back to the Bible. I do to you what my friend did to me. Let's go and see what God's Word has to say. But could we just a moment just bow our heads and just say, maybe you want to pray something like this. <laughs> Lord, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. I don't want to live an average Christian life. I don't want to just get high. And I don't want it to be all about me. I want to be an instrument in God's hands. To see the gospel go across the world. To see it go across my neighborhood, my school, my workplace, my office. And I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to give me not only words to say, but power to back it up. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to help answer my prayers when I'm praying for people. Lord, might I even see a miracle? Might I even be used to pray for a sick person? Might, might I have the gift of prophecy? Lord, might you feel me just like you did our brothers and sisters in the book of Acts because the fields are white to harvest and the laborers are few. I'll reach out to heaven and just say, Lord, by faith, I just received right now. I just receive and I'm making a choice. I'm going to get on that bike. And you helping me, I'm going to begin to ride. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's close this way one last prayer. Uh, we're going to sing one chorus and dismiss. But I'm going to invite our prayer team down in just a moment. And they would like to pray with you about anything. Maybe there's a need in your life. You didn't come up earlier. Uh, maybe someone that you care deeply about is having troubles or problems away from God. They need God's help. We'll pray for them. But maybe what you heard in this message, maybe you want someone to lay their hands on you and pray that you would have a, a deeper walk with God in the Spirit. That maybe you have become spiritually dry. You know, and Ephesians says to be continually filled with the Spirit. Let, let us pray with you about these things. Because how many know God's got good things and we need every good thing He has. But we'll pray with you about anything in this altar. But most importantly, and 
I know this has been a message directed to Christians, but maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, my greatest need is I need a relationship with God. I don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or hell, and I didn't, I didn't come up and talk to anyone when that the man came up here in the earlier in the service, but I don't want to leave this place today not knowing if I'm right with God. See, there's only one thing that keeps a person out of heaven, and that's our sin. And there's only one way to deal with our sin. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died in our place so our sins could be forgiven, so we could have a real relationship with God. But now it's my, talk, my turn to receive Him as my Savior. Now is your chance today to repent, to walk away from your old way of living and make a step to Christ. It might be your first step you've ever made or, or you might have gotten away from God and today you want to come back. But whatever it is, when we are praying up here, I'm going to encourage you to slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross. They will not embarrass you, but they will pray for you as you make the biggest step of your life, committing your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer team is coming now. And if you need prayer for anything, slip on up and let us pray for you. But most importantly, if your heart is being drawn to God now, make that step and let us pray for you. I promise you, you'll never regret it. I love you. Let's sing it together and then we'll dismiss.